Hey everyone, you're listening to Tobin Tuesdays brought to you by the men of Tobin here on 101.5 UMFM. Today is March 19th, 2019, and I'm your host, Joe Gonzalez. On today's episode, we have three stories. First, we spoke with UMISA co-president Alana McKay and UMISA member Jack Theus, and in regards to their comments, a response from UMSU president Jacob Sanderson. We also spoke with Jacob about the publishing by the University of Manitoba of new guidelines put in place for university employees with comments from U of M spokesperson John Danakis. Finally, Jacob provided some information on the Demand Better campaign being put forward by him and his team. With that being said, let's get to it. Several members of the University of Manitoba Indigenous Students Association, or UMISA, have accused the recently elected Your UMSU slate of co-opting Indigenous initiatives without giving proper credit to the Indigenous students and faculty who founded them. Your UMSU swept the 2019 UMSU general elections and was led by current UMSU president Jacob Sanderson. Here are UMISA co-president Alana McKay and UMISA member Jack Theus providing some of their comments on the matter. So yeah, let's, I'm just going to unpack this a little mm-hmm. bit. Um... Part of Jacob and Uramsu's sort of slate and like candidacy and platform was uh, introduce or like bringing more Indigenous language courses to the U of M, uh, pushing the reconciliation program like for movement or whatever you'd call it further. Um, your concern is that sorry, go ahead. Um, uh, your concern is that these projects were like 100% of the work was done by Indigenous students. Yeah. Not much of the work was done by Jacob Umsu. and Umsu. And then on top of that, uh, you had this whole speech about set of, like colonialism and how like important it was to yeah. like sort of be cognizant of these issues. Mm-hmm. Jacob was there, yeah. and you believe that he was mining data for his own... Later on. Like for um, his... Yeah. At the meeting that he invited us to because he wanted to like learn more about what I was talking about. And I was happy to share it at the time, but I didn't realize this would be happening several months later. That in yeah. a slate with several, with an entirely BIPOC slate, with three Indigenous women uh, who are all heavily involved on campus, yeah, uh, and who I discuss these things with constantly. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that he would be kind of using that. Uh, the information that I provided, I didn't realize he'd be storing that for his own infor- for his own benefit, political benefit later on. Yeah, and uh, it's not only that he mentioned that because it makes sense. Of course, he's gonna want to appeal to Indigenous students in the election. I get that, but the fact that he would say like that those words would be published they where they were on the Instagram and in other places just uh, without giving any credit to the Indigenous students who brought this to his attention because he who brought this to his attention in the first place, uh, or the organizations like UMISA who brought this to attention, who have been putting this, uh, doing all this hard work over the last year and a half, two years. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And then, like, going back to the how he said it was even more empowering, it, everything they based their slate off came from community groups, initiatives, like ongoing initiatives that they, they yeah. have been working for for the past, like, two years. And like, when in actuality, they like wouldn't help y'all fund the trip to Regina for the BIPOC conference. They would only give you like one or two seats, and y'all managed to eventually like do it your own thing. Okay. Um, this is a bit of a segue, but I mean, you did run with the Exist Slate. Um, like, we're gonna write this article, and there's like inevitably gonna be that argument. Well, like, okay. well, you were on this other slate. Maybe you were biased. How would you respond to that? 
because so Annie has talked about this all of us came from these community groups we never took any of our ongoing projects in our community groups and used it for political gain we left those projects such as the reconciliation actions such as like advocating for indigenous scholars here we left those to our respective community groups and didn't claim them as our own just to gain a capacity for political gain just to say and like using our communities because we know not to do that because we know the importance of how those initiatives helped further our communities and built a greater community and like advocating it has brought so many people together and we knew not to bring those into this platform just any change that comes from the indigenous community yeah. on campus it's not done independently perhaps yeah. like in other student organizations yeah. or anything it's it's all collectively it's, and it's yeah. not even and we take it downtown off campus yeah. i see her and annie and multiple members of umissa yeah. and the indigenous community all over the city at gatherings and events and protests and rallies like we're really serious about this it's our way of life uh i don't even know if activist is the right term for it because it's just being indigenous yeah so like this is literally our whole entire life but we never used it in the elections to get ourselves further to attract certain attention we knew not to do that but for somebody who knew all of us came from this community groups and to pick up all our projects and use that for their gain another thing is when people co-opt the hard work a whole community has worked towards it distorts the voices that we're already working towards that or it diminishes mm -hmm. uh -huh. and the original voices that started it, the community's voice when somebody else co-ops something that they've been people have been working hard towards and like for somebody who had doesn't work with us to adopt that a lot of the messages within that original initiative is going to get mixed up somewhere along that, and it definitely has within these elections. And that's what colonization does. It's just a constant uh, co-opting or theft or appropriation or extraction, a one-way extraction of everything indigenous or like land, bodies, people's identities, um, epistemologies, uh, religions and ceremonies, our art. Our funding, like every like whether you're talking about I don't know student groups or tribal governments, uh, it's just uh, or our work and our labor, just constant extraction with little to no um, uh, compensation. Would it be fair then to say, say in the article that um, your Umsu, in your opinion, has co-opted? Uh, indigenous-based projects to further their own like political agenda which was to win i'm assuming like uh yeah i mean i wouldn't say that we're actually part of their agenda because i could totally see them just dismissing everything indigenous yeah. or just not putting in half as much work as they uh kind of what's the word that they made it look like they would mm -hmm. during the elections because yeah. i mean i'm sure they're just not going to care that much uh now that they're elected but to get elected, would you argue oh, that yeah, they co-opted totally. these? Because yeah. in reality, in, the indigenous community knows how much work it is to. We know how hard it is to get indigenous scholars to come here and stay here, and like how in the native studies fund, the native studies department funding is getting cut and has been cut in half. We like those who are involved in the community know the struggles of it, and. 
for outsiders to come in and think that they could just be saviors of all this like indigenous you're misleading indigenous students into thinking that this is something that could happen within a year when in reality it's been a constant fight for a year for decades and yeah. little has changed in yeah. those decades here is umsu president jacob sanderson with his response so basically um i spoke with a few members of umisa uh including one who was on the exist executive um who expressed some concerns that uh the urmsu slate while they were campaigning and perhaps you specifically or like uh the incumbent like the people returning or campaigning to return um had in their words uh quote unquote co-opted certain like initiatives without giving proper credit to like the indigenous students who started them so like uh reconciliation like the reconciliation campaign um the indigenous languages work that's been happening um basically what their concern was was that during the campaign your MC talked about like you know, indigenous language, like in like furthering indigenous languages work and that sort of thing without properly saying like these things were birthed by like indigenous students, these things are being advocated for by indigenous students. Um, some concern was brought up that like uh, you hadn't been present, say enough at like certain things like planning things and executive committee things uh, to warrant like quote unquote their words, not mine, taking credit for these initiatives. So I'm wondering if we could talk about that a little bit. I don't really have sure. any questions. It's just... um, okay, so I mean, we had two primary policy planks um, that focused on Indigenous-specific issues. Um, so one of those was the Indigenous Awareness Month. Um, within that, and I'll send you the website later, um, we're always quite clear that there's a lot of work that's done by UMISA, by other Indigenous student groups, and by the Indigenous Student Center already around Indigenous Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. um, our role within that would just be to provide more funding, more resources, space, um, and to hopefully help elevate the work that's already being done by Indigenous leaders on campus, both students and non-students, to the wider university community. Um, in terms of um, the Indigenous language issue, um, yeah, certainly Indigenous leaders on campus have been doing, um, and around the country, um, have been doing a lot of excellent work on Indigenous languages. Um, and and I would by no means say that I'm the first person to, th to think that that's a major priority. I think it's been a major priority for a while. Um, it was the pillar of um, call, number, call to action number 16 of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, it's been a pillar of the reconciliation campaign. It's been a pillar that a lot of people have been working on. It's been quite a pressing issue across Canada, especially in Manitoba. Um, but in terms of the real actionable to our plan, which is the hiring fund, um, this idea, well, I mean, I'm not saying I'm the only person that's ever come up with it, but I've certainly come up with this um, by myself in a meeting um, with um, one of our with our board indigenous representative and our UMSU vice president external when we were brainstorming on indigenous lobby priorities this was an idea that I suggested um, so certainly we built on the core principles of a lot of the excellent work that indigenous leaders have been doing calling attention to the issue but in terms of the actual our plan to help solve this this was something that um, I feel strongly about uh, individually and, and I hope that uh, 
Indigenous student support as a means of helping to attain that language program. Within a week of each other, the U of M has published two new guidelines for university employees on how to conduct themselves appropriately towards students and each other. These measures come after a turbulent period for the university, with several allegations of sexual misconduct from faculty towards students coming to light in the last two years. The two guides published this week by the U of M titled Relationships Between University Employees Involving Power Differentials and Relationships Between University Employees and Students look to define how relationships between university employees and students and relationships between university employees with one in a position of power over the other should be approached. Both guidelines emphasize that disclosure to the university is mandatory. Neither provide any kind of disciplinary measures should these guidelines be broken, and neither ban any kind of consensual intimate relationship outright. OMSU President Jacob Sanderson said it is important to note that these are just guidelines and there are no new policies in place on teacher-student relationships. Here he is, providing his comments on the new guidelines. I wanted to talk briefly as well about the uh, quote-unquote policies that the U of M put out on uh, right. student-faculty relationships and faculty-faculty relationships. Um, I think we briefly discussed this, that it is not really policy at all, and I was wondering if we could unpack that a little bit. Yeah, so... There's three primary policies that deal with um, teacher-student relationships in some way, right? So you have the respectful work and learning environment policy. Um, you have the uh, sexual violence policy. Currently, I think it's currently called the sexual assault policy. It's changed to sexual violence policy. And then you have the conflict of interest policy. And so the conflict of interest policy is actually the one that touches most specifically on what's allowed and what's not allowed with regards to student-teacher relationships. Now, the two policies that are under review currently are the RWLE policy and the sexual violence policy, both of which um, us and UMFA are in the midst of providing um, suggested amendments to as part of our review period. And that will likely end up being approved or presented to Senate and Board of Governors probably in the May and June um, timeline. Conflict of interest policy is currently not under review. So um, our hope would be that because the RWE policy and sexual violence policies are the ones currently under review, that a that there is a prohibition on student-teacher relationships where, um, okay, I'll rephrase, where there is a prohibition on instructors and administrators being able to date students or have any sexual relationships with students where there is a direct power imbalance. Um, put specifically into the policies that are under review. The guides that were put out are not new policies at all. Um, they're just user guides with relation to the existing conflict of interest policy. So those guides don't stipulate any change or any final decision from the university on this policy. We'll have to wait until June to see whether or not um, the university actually plans to put um, this prohibition in place or any further restrictions in place into the RWBL sexual violence policy and ultimately if they were to go the route of re review of um, revising the current outlines in this conflict of interest policy that could be a matter of a couple of years um, but this is just simply an explanatory guide on the current conflict of interest policy there's nothing new it doesn't indicate any sort of decision from the university on this matter just to clarify uh, one of them's suggestions is going to be like this prohibitive ban on 
Yeah, so currently we have, um, so we're in the midst of of submitting our suggestions, and we have 15 um, suggestions in whole. Um, Sorry, just interrupt, but just Amsu or Amsu and Amfa together? Uh, This is Amsu. I'm not sure what Amsu is proposing. Um, So Amsu has 15 suggestions in whole. If you ask me to remember them all, I won't. Um, (laughs) But what I can say is that the vast majority of those um, are... All right, we had 15 suggested revisions to the original policy, um, and then most of those have been accounted for in the revised policy. Um, I, I can't really go into exactly where everything individually stands, because um, I'm pretty sure that's confidential, but I would just say that most of our suggestions have been accounted for thus far, and that we are adamant that in whichever policy it ends up going in, that we do want a prohibition on professors and administrators and instructors being able to enter relate sexual relationships with students where a direct power imbalance applies and and I would stipulate that direct power imbalance that that would be the key. Here is U of M spokesperson John Danakis providing his comments on the new guidelines. So I just really briefly wanted to talk about um, these guidelines that came out or policies or whatever you'd like to call them. Uh, Yeah, well they are guides. Policies haven't changed. These uh, these guides provide clarification and more examples, more detail, uh, in order to make it clear how to understand the policies and the types of uh, examples that would fall under the policies, the existing policies. How did the? So the uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, the guides aren't. They're not new policies. They're they're guides. Clarify the existing policies. Right. Um, how did the uh, how did the process to like putting together these guides come about? They were developed internally, consultation um, through the RWLE process and uh, RWLE review process. Sorry, <coughs> through consultation that was part of the RWLE review process, um, as well as through comparisons with uh, what other universities across Canada are developing. If uh, because I know the RWLE uh, policies are going to be under review pretty soon. Will the U of like will the U of M administration still be considering like a prohibitive sort of like ban on student faculty relationships or uh, faculty faculty relationships when one's in a position of power? Like, is that still on the table or? The conversation is ongoing, uh, probably you know across North America. Mm-hmm. Probably the conversation is ongoing across North America um, at universities, and so you know, the University of Manitoba remains committed to to the to listening, uh, monitoring, and, and and following the conversation, and, and you know what what might work best. So is that a yes? That the conversation is ongoing. That the uh, like should Umsu or Umfa or anyone bring it back during, like, the review process, like, bring it back to the table, uh, actually creating, like, a ban, like other universities have, on, like, student-faculty relationships or faculty-faculty relationships where one's in a position of power. Um, Like, is that still something that the administration is going to consider? Well, those are all part of the ongoing conversation around sexual violence on campus. So, yes, the university is uh, alert to that conversation. 
In its ongoing bid to leave the Canadian Federation of Students, UMSU has set up a website encouraging students to, quote, demand better, end quote, use of their fees. The website, www.demandbetter.ca, notes U of M students have spent over $4 million on fees to the Canadian Federation of Students since 2007. Members of UMSU currently pay $7.61 per term to the Federation. The UMSU Board of Directors voted against affirming membership in the Canadian Federation of Students in November, and recommended the union instead join the Canadian Alliance of Student Associations, or CASA. Students who submit their name, email address, and a message explaining what they would like UMSU to use the fees for are entered to win a $100 Skip the Ditches gift card. UMSU President Jacob Sanderson has said should the union leave the Canadian Federation of Students, UMSU could reallocate the funds into joining CASA and provide the advocacy services critics say the union would lose by leaving the Federation in-house. However, should students vote to leave the Federation, UMSU will have to hold another referendum to decide whether or not students will reinvest the money into other arenas. Here's Jacob providing more information on the campaign. Before anything, I kind of want to ask um, what, uh, like this isn't so much about the website, but I was wondering what sure. uh, petitioning was looking like right now, like gathering signatures. Yeah, so we're doing it right now. Um, so basically, uh, we want to make this as interactive a campaign as possible. So really any student that wants to get involved in signature gathering that feels passionate about it, we're more than willing to work with. We have a lot of student volunteers right now that are... Um, are helping out with the campaign that are gathering signatures and as well um, all members of the um, outgoing and incoming executive are also aiding in gathering signatures at the moment. Um, for any student that wants to sign the petition we are in temporary offices right now so um, if they want to come to um, 124 or 122 Helen Glass that's where our executives are right now and we'd be happy to have them sign the petition we'd also be happy to answer any questions that anyone has about um, what the CFS is or what the demand better campaign is. Um, in terms of, so yeah, in terms of signature gathering, um, we remain towards our, our goal right now is to collect um, the sufficient number of signatures by the end of the winter term so that we're able to have a referendum in the fall term. But um, our promise during the campaign period was to have a referendum during the 2019-20 year. So uh, that, that's the target. And, depending on how long it takes to collect the signatures, it is quite a large amount, and the signatures aren't allowed to be gathered online for the CFS bylaws. So gathering hand signatures is a difficult process, long process, but we've been really excited with the engagement we've gotten out of students thus far, and um, I think that while it it is somewhat of a um, tedious process, in many ways it's also a blessing, because it gives us a chance to interact with thousands of students um, before we ever go to a referendum and hearing out their thoughts on the Canadian Federation of Students and them hearing our thoughts and I think what we're trying to stress too to students is signing this position does not mean that necessarily that student even wants to leave the CFS. It's just about whether or not we think it's good for the organization for us to all have a binding vote on what we want to do with the CFS. Okay. Um, in terms of just like going back to the website, um, uh, you've expressed in the past that um, a fair amount of the money that we'd save by leaving the Canadian Federation of Students would be used to further advocacy services. Um, what kind of answers are you looking for with the website, right? I mean, it's, it's, it seems like you kind of already have a plan in place of what you'd, you think is best to do with the money should we leave CFS. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily looking for anything in particular. I think what we're, well, first of all, um, I just want to, for clarity's sake, 
just so that everyone knows, because um, I know there was confusion about this. If we had a referendum to leave CFS and we leave, but nothing else happens, um, every student saves fifteen twenty two a year, that fee disappears. Obviously does not get that money, okay? For us to reinvest that money, it'll require UMSU um, to allocate a new levy, and now with the changes to the UMSU Act, we can't do that without a referendum, right? So in reality, there would be a two-step process. So to, for us, it very much is a two-step process where we want to um, give students a vote on membership in the Canadian Federation of Students. If they vote to leave the Canadian Federation of Students, then we want to then go back to students and say, hey, like, would you like this money reinvested elsewhere um, to try and do better advocacy services than what a CFS provides? Or if they vote no in that, then, then it's, that's the student's prerogative to just have that money as savings, right? So I think what we're trying to do with the Demand Better campaign is that um, obviously our goal is to leave the Canadian Federation of Students and to have that second referendum. Um, and we want to know that whatever we decide to give students that option of reallocating the money towards is something that students really want. So I certainly have ideas, um, and I, I think that probably a lot of students would agree that putting some of that money towards provincial and federal advocacy um, to replace some of those services that are lost is, is a strong idea. But I'm also open to hearing all sorts of student perspectives on how they want that money to go. Um, because in reality, like this entire campaign here is about student choice. So, do students want to have a referendum? Yes or no, right? Depending on if enough people sign the signatures. When the referendum comes, do students want to stay in the CFS or not? And if that referendum passes, then how do students want that money spent elsewhere, or do they at all? So, I'm just looking forward to hearing what students have to say. I wouldn't say we're looking for anything in particular, but we're just looking to gather as many responses as possible um, to hear from what students see as their priorities. And that should do it for today's episode of Tobin Tuesdays, brought to you by the Manitoban here on 101.5 UMFM. All the interviews you heard today were provided by our news and managing editor, Malak Abbas. The intro and transition music was produced by Kenny Ingram, and the entire episode was produced and hosted by me, Joe Gonzalez. A reminder that all the interviews you heard today, you can read about in the stories available in the upcoming issue of the Manitoban. Tobin Tuesdays is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so be sure to check us out to find our old episodes, as well as subscribe so you don't miss a future one. But as always, we have our own show page on the UMFM website where you can find all of our old episodes there as well. On behalf of the Manitoban, we thank you for listening, and we'll hope you tune in next week. Peace.